How's everybody this morning? It's hard to believe it's Thursday morning already, but here we are sitting here and uh, we've completed Philippians and we're going to move into 1 Corinthians today and uh, uh, we will see how long it takes us to get through 1 Corinthians. Knowing me, it's going to be probably into spring before we get through 1 Corinthians uh, because, you know, we, we go at a moderate clip. A good clip is, okay, a chapter a day. Um, I know people who would take a book like 1 Corinthians and perhaps take uh, a year or two years or three years to teach through it when they go word by word. I think the more appropriate way to handle Scripture is concept by concept. Um because 
what we have in the English, and I'll share with you a conversation I had uh, the other day, what we have in English is a translation out of original languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. Uh, and there is not always a direct corollary translation. Sometimes it takes four or five English words to communicate what just one Greek word might communicate. And the inverse is also true. Sometimes there are four or five Greek words, and we have simply one English word for that. And so, you know, I, I was in a conversation with a young man the other day, uh, picking up some, I won't say where, but picking up some items uh, at a, a print shop. And uh, so he asked, it was stuff for the Bible college. He said, "Is what denomination? I said, well, we're, we're not denominational. Uh he says, so what translation of the Bible do you use? And I went, oh, I see where this is going. And I said, well, we, we use lots of translations. I said, we're interested in the translation of the text. I said, we may use paraphrases. He said, so you don't do King James only? And I said, well, no, we, we use a wide variety of translations. And he said, well, I, I believe that the King James version is the only valid version. And I said, I... I, I would strongly disagree with you on your point there. If you understand anything about Bible translation, you will know how erroneous that is. But I don't want to get into that debate with you, young man. I, I said, here's my question for you. Do you love Jesus? That's what I really want to know. And uh, he just looked at me like with deer and headlights look like, what kind of a question is that? And, and But anyway, it, it wasn't a bad conversation. It was a brief conversation. Uh, and... Uh, so I like to look at things. Some will go through word by word by word, and and sometimes that just really isn't uh, doesn't keep us to the truth. Actually, uh, especially when you consider that uh, how translation works. But to look at concept by concept, I think that's a more healthy way. You get the full picture, and and to always keep things in context in the Bible. Uh, you know, uh, you, it's easy to take a word out of context, and all of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden, it's problematic because uh, we're making the text say something that maybe it actually doesn't say. So uh, anyway, um, all that to say, I'm, I'm going to take us into some background of 1 Corinthians. I need to get over and look at my notes here a little bit, and uh, I'm not going to be seeing the comments here for a little bit, um, but uh, I do see Priscilla logging in there, so I will say good morning to Priscilla. Now, this book, when was this book written? Uh, there, there are, uh, Paul was converted in uh, around AD 33, AD 34, somewhere in that range, uh, and it wasn't until 13, 14 years later, maybe even as many as 15 years later, that he would find himself in Corinth, and that's when Paul planted the church at Corinth. Now, to think about church planting for just a moment, uh, Paul planted a number of churches. Uh, church planting was the DNA of the early church. Uh, church planting was apostolic in the sense that people were sent to plant churches. And in our day, people are sent to plant churches. 
And we in America, especially, have gotten way too comfortable uh, with, you know, we have to have our big buildings, we have to have our fancy seats and pews, we have to have our fancy lights and all that stuff, and we have to have a big budget, and we have to. It wasn't so in the early church, and what I suggest to you, it is really not true in the two-thirds world. Now, you say, no, Jim, what what are you talking about, the two-thirds world? Well, the two-thirds world is, uh, we're in about a third of the world, uh, North America, if you want to put it that way, then everything else is, is North America includes Canada, by the way, uh, some would say maybe Latin America, but two-thirds world, uh, everything that's not North America, um, South America, they, they see phenomenal church planting activity taking place. Uh, in the Middle East, where Islam has been strong, there's phenomenal, and, and it, it's church planting from the ground up, it's church planting from somebody who comes to faith in Christ and begins to teach other people. That that is what we have there uh, in in the Middle East, and they gather a group of people and begin teaching them, and often very secretively, uh, for for risk of their lives. Uh, in India, uh, in Asia, it's just going like gangbusters uh, in those places. Uh, and Paul was out planting churches, and he wasn't there very long. He was called to church planting ministry. There are people who are called to plant a church and stay there their whole life. There are people who are called to plant churches and pass it on to somebody else. And uh, we have both of those. And, and in this instance, looking at uh, what we're looking at in, in some of the notes here, thinking about Paul planting the church in Corinth, uh, 80, 48, 49, somewhere in that range. And then uh, about four to five years later, he ends up writing this particular letter that we have. And there were actually four letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Uh, he, he wrote the first this first letter, uh, like I said, in 80, 53, 54, 55, somewhere in that range. Uh, it was near the end of his three-year uh, uh missionary time, ministry time, teaching time in Ephesus. He wrote four letters to the church, a previous letter, which ends up being mentioned here in chapter 5. And then there is this letter, 1 Corinthians. Then there is a severe letter, which is missing, but it is referenced in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And then there's 2 Corinthians. Only 1 and 2 Corinthians survived um, realized I, I'm looking at you kind of funny here. Uh, the theme, the theme is dealing with a divided church. Now, I, I think of there are many things that divide the church, and uh, uh, I pray for our local church that many of you are a part of uh, at Veracity and go, undergoing change, that you will do growth through change, not division through change. Uh, the church in Corinth was divided because of arrogance of powerful people. Uh, it was divided by arrogance of who they would talk to, who they would follow. Uh, you know, I follow this teacher, I follow this teacher, and we'll get into that as we get into the book. Uh, and they're challenged to repent of their rivalries. They're challenged to build each other up in the faith. Uh, they're they're challenged to be more effective in the witness. Now, Paul had received uh, 
word uh, from the church in Corinth, and this word revealed a church that struggled with, with as, as I've mentioned, struggled with division. It also struggled with immorality. It struggled with idolatry. It struggled with theological confusion. You know, in our day, and I will talk about the broader church, I, 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 see, I see both beautiful things in, in the church in the state of Maine where, where we live, uh, and I also see still some ugly things. I see the division of the church, and, and, and I, it's a theme that I'm going to really hit on, uh, whether I'll hit on it strongly today, but, you know, Jesus loves his church. And I, I am going to hit on it, I guess. John chapter 17 seems to be a passage that I see many truth tellers wanting to lay aside um, because we'll, we need to be about the truth. And they want to drill down into the fine points of words that are lifted out of context and supersede then the words that Jesus himself prayed in John chapter 17, that the church would be one, that we would be united. Now, I, I, want, I don't want to be confused uh, or confusing here. I, I, I don't want to be read or heard as saying that, you know, anything that calls itself a Christian church, we all ought to just get along. No, I'm not saying that. There are churches that call themselves a Christian church, but do not subscribe to Scripture. Um, they say the Bible contains the Word of God, the, the Bible becomes the Word of God, the Bible uh, is an inspirational book, but it is not necessarily our rule of faith and life. They, they would also say that the passage of time supersedes what's written in the text in the canon of Scripture, the 66 books that we in the Protestant uh, movement have, and that you know, because of enlightenment, we understand things better now. Well, I, I reject that. And churches that would say those types of things, you know, we would say we're not going to partner. But churches that say we believe the word of God, churches that say we believe that we are saved by the grace of God, by faith. And I will partner with somebody. Now, there's some that say faith is the faith itself is a gift from God. Uh, and there are those who say, well, faith uh, emanates begins in man it is our response to god's grace uh, and it is from us to me largely it doesn't matter whether you're you're saying it, it it's it's it comes from god uh like a strong reformed calvinist would say uh, or like uh, uh on the other side that someone that may be even leaning an arminian direction which teaches largely that more there, there's more aspects to man's works in salvation. Uh, one side would say you don't lose your salvation if you really have it. The other would say be careful you don't lose it. Those are two different camps. However, I would work with anybody that would say we believe that it's God's grace and it's by faith. The Bible is the Word of God. God's grace is extended to us that we may be saved. We we respond to that grace. In faith, doesn't again to me. I'm not particularly uh, now. I have my own beliefs on the point, but I'll work with somebody that subscribes to those things. I'll work with somebody that subscribes to uh, this Christ alone. It's it's Christ work on the cross that uh, was completed once for all, done, finished. Uh, and, and we lean upon Jesus for our salvation, and it's all to the glory of God. It's they're called the five solos of Scripture. I'll work with people who, who would subscribe to those things. I'll work with Pentecostals. Now, I do have some concerns sometimes 
uh, uh, the loosey-goosey nature in which sometimes Scripture is handled um, in the in the charismatic Pentecostal movement. Uh, I, I'm just going to say that. That is not a non-truth. However, uh, I've prayed with Pentecostals. We have Pentecostals who are part of our family here, and I love them. Uh, but we, we do have, you know, just a, a different approach to uh, at least teaching and, and preaching. And uh, But they would subscribe to those five things. Uh, there are some who, if, if you don't believe a particular confession, like the London Baptist 1689, then, then they're, they're very skeptical of anybody else. Or, let me go down the Calvary Chapel Road. I was thinking about this yesterday while I was cutting my grass. That, that, you know, sometimes, and, and this is a shout out to any of my friends that are Calvary Chapel people, sometimes you Calvary Chapel people act almost as if everybody else is wrong. Now, I know that's a little bit of an overstatement, um, but and I get where some of that comes from. I'm thinking of your Bible college, and I'm a Bible college president, and I've talked to people at Calvary Chapel Bible College. So, you know, and I'm for you. Don't don't read me to say I'm against you. And 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 some of what happened in Bible colleges and seminaries for a lot of years missed the mark. And and I think you guys were right on that point. Uh, and yet, there is a certain air that sometimes does come across, and, and I'm going to call it out right here publicly, um, we need to get back to not being a divided people and uh, come back to the heart of what Jesus prayed in, what Jesus prayed in uh, John chapter 17. So uh, I, I just, I, I'm throwing that out there to you to to think about, to consider, uh and, and you can tell any of my friends from any of those places that, hey, Jim said, what do you think? Well, and I, we need to be careful that, that we're not arrogant either. I am saying we need to partner together with, with people who share those five things. I, I will tell you, in Waldo County, uh, I think we've had a special thing that we need to get back to. Seeing our churches praying together in Waldo County, we need to get back to that. And uh, to, to see somebody of a much more liturgical nature praying a written prayer uh, uh, that, that has depth of thought and substance, and, and then having another brother uh, turn around and pray uh, with, with great uh, unction and gusto uh, coming out of a, a more Pentecostal background uh, in in a church service in a prayer service I believe was a beautiful thing that we have experienced and we need to get back to that type of thing. Paul in, addresses he doesn't say to a particular church to Veracity Chapel in Waldo County. He doesn't say to Faith Temple in Waldo County. He doesn't say to Calvary Chapel Belfast in Waldo County. He doesn't say to Brooks Bible Church in Waldo County. He says to the church in Corinth. And so if Paul were writing to us, he would be saying to us, to the church in Waldo County, these are the words, don't be divided. Be together. Come together. Uh, that's what he would say. Now, another thing, not only did, did he address is the division, but he also addressed the uh, immorality. I was talking with some people, and, and in these days, it's, it's very common in our churches to see people who live together outside of marriage. Uh, that ought not be. And I, I still believe that is the standard. Uh, 
Uh, and I would discourage that, uh, heartily discourage that. Um, I would heartily discourage sex outside of marriage. I would heartily encourage sex inside of marriage, but I would heartily discourage it outside of marriage because the Bible does. So there's immorality of that nature. There's immorality of drunkenness and, and substance abuse. Uh, there's immorality of uh, taking each other to court. Uh, there are those types of things that uh, that we will read uh, in this text. There's idolatry, actual idols that they're they're idolizing, and we will get into that. And then there's theological confusion. There's plenty of that today. Uh, I, I heard something the other day where it was being said that we need to. Uh, you know, be very basic in teaching the Bible because of biblical illiteracy in America today. And, and I agree with that. I, I think that, that we need to, um, you know, not assume that people know their Bibles. That's why my practice has gotten back to, rather than throwing it up on the screen for you for entertainment, and yes, there is educative value in putting it on the screen. I understand that. But here's what happens. When it goes on the screen... People no longer turn in their Bibles. So I have gone back, and, and I will give explanation of this. I have gone back to, to asking people to turn in their Bibles and not putting it on the screen because I want people to learn their way through the Bible. Now, the goal here, really, uh, in, in writing this book, Paul's goal is that they would become a true dwelling place for God's Spirit. Now, theologically speaking, we are a dwelling place for God's Spirit. However, uh, in in a practical sense, that, that people would experience God's Spirit dwelling in us as a church, that, God, that, that people would experience God's Spirit it, it, when they encounter us as a people, that they would experience God's Spirit in that way. So then the encouragement is, and we will see this in, in here in chapter 1 when we get there tomorrow, stay faithful to the gospel. Uh, be guiltless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what are some of the themes? There, there are themes that are, will carry throughout this book. One we just hit upon, uh, the church is the dwelling place of God's spirit. We sometimes will take that to, to be personally. We make it so personal, and we forget the reality that we are called to be communal with each other. We are called to live in interdependence with each other. So, um, yes, there's a personal sense, but there is the corporate sense. So what do we do to build each other up? We build each other up. Uh, by being sensitive to those whose faith is fragile, we build each other up. Uh, winning unbelievers to the faith. Um, we should conduct our worship service, uh, wor- worship services in such a way that, that non-believers might come to faith, and, and he will get into that in chapter 14. Um, and our worship, we should use, in, in the life of the church, we should use our spiritual gifts to build up the church. He'll get into... Uh, Things like sexual relations, uh, both the wrong kind and the right kind. He covers both. He'll get into the, the baptism, the Lord's Supper, and uh, he'll also deal in a very stellar fashion with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So, uh, 
Um, I am going to put this, uh, I believe I'm going to put this up on the screen so you can see it. Here is uh, a map. Again, so you can see, here is Corinth. I'm circling that for you. Uh, not only a city, but maybe a region or, or a spot. It is the city right here, but in this whole area of Achaia. Here's Macedonia to the north, Thessalonica, uh, and then Athens, which exists still today, Sparta down here, uh, and then over on here you see the Aegean Sea, and the other side uh, is what we now know as Turkey. So uh, you you get to see where Paul is, uh, where where Paul, the area in which Paul is addressing. So that is that is the area. <clears throat> now, Paul had spent considerable time. He'd spent 18 months there. He, he knew the people well. Uh, he was intimately familiar with, with the church and, and the congregants. <clears throat> the recipients knew Paul, so they must have known the significance of the letter. Uh, and not only uh, the significance to their own circumstances, but also for the church worldwide. It's interesting that in AD 95, Clement, the bishop of Rome, would write a letter of his own to the Corinthians, and he will invoke Paul's instruction in the letter of 1 Corinthians. So not that long after 1 Corinthians was written, uh, in its origin, the letter was traveling outside of Corinth and was considered authoritative uh, in other places in that part of the world. Why is it so important? I mean, it's so important because it's a frank discussion of the church and the issues that impacted real people in the first century, and it impacts real people in the 21st century. It was corroded with sin on a variety of fronts. Paul provided an important model for how the church should handle problems of sin in its midst. He says, don't turn a blind eye, uh, but confront it. Address the problems. It's a bold call to purity within the church. And Paul made it clear he was willing to risk good opinion of some people in order to help the church be what it needed to be. 1 Corinthians addresses reports that Paul received from Chloe's household, as well as a letter received from the church itself. Uh, in, in, in this letter to the church of Corinth, Paul covered all these different things that we've talked about. Another thing that I didn't even bring up is quarreling uh, or lawsuits. He, he deals with singleness. He deals with freedom in Christ. He, he deals with order in that there should be order in worship. Uh, he deals with the proper use of uh, spiritual gifts. The whole line of thought that ties this together was Paul's emphasis on the conduct in the church. The apostle expected that, that the people would live according to the Christian ideals which were brought forth in Jesus, the ways of Jesus, I would call it. And he calls them back to that. Now, the city was a large international metropolis. 
It was a city filled with people from all kinds of backgrounds they, who brought all kinds of uh, idols with them and all kinds of beliefs and all kinds of practices. Uh, and so uh, Corinth was a urban area with uh, unending opportunities to engage in, in business, but also to engage in all kinds of sinful behavior without any appear without any consequences because it was all accepted. But what happened is culture affected the church rather than the church affecting the culture. But he doesn't tell them to retreat from their city. He doesn't tell them to get out of Belfast. No. He says, instead, live out your faith in Christ in the midst of the non-believers in such a way that they will be drawn to Christ. As Christians, we should shine our light in dark places by worshiping as a unified body of believers made accountable to one another, not just in a local church, but among churches. That was his goal. How can we become more the people that God wants us to become? So so this gives a little bit of background to what we're going to be dealing with as we get into 1 Corinthians uh, in the time ahead. Uh, but this, this provides some background, some insight, some instructions, some calling, uh, some conviction, uh, maybe some inspiration to live for Christ. So, friends, uh, I'm going to call it a wrap for this morning. It's been a good morning being together with you. Uh, I'm going to let you get into your day. Lord, it's my prayer that you will help us to live as Jesus would live. Uh, it's my prayer that you will help us to uh, be the aroma of Christ to those around us, that we'd be the light of Christ to those around us, and that together, whether it's believers in one local church or in a whole county of local churches, that people would see the church as one in Christ. Lord, help us to live toward the end that we might better glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, have a great day. I will see you again on Friday. That's tomorrow. See you then.